You're listening to another podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson. Today I'm interviewing Michael Hyatt. Michael is a tech writer with a lot of experience. He's currently working uh, for a mashup company, and he's located here in Utah. One of the things that caught my attention uh, and drew me to ask Michael if I could interview him was a post he wrote about the death of single sourcing or the myth of single sourcing. And he's really talking about single sourcing across the entire enterprise, not not just small single sourcing within the same project. And what he said in the post had a lot of merit, and so I thought I'd interview him. And he really expands on some, some things that kind of run contrary to what you maybe hear a lot of times in tool vendors or other other circles about uh, this this giant single sourcing trend and, and single sourcing content across marketing and tech com and, and training and all your other departments as well. There was a little audio problem the first few minutes, so just stick around or stay, stay in there and the audio gets a lot better after about four minutes. I appreciate any feedback. Go ahead and send it to me at tom at I'd rather be writing dot com or go visit Michael's blog at mashstream.com, M-A-S-H-S-T-R-E-A-M.com. Sure, we'd love to hear feedback if you have any thoughts or any opinions. All right, thanks. Again, you can find more podcasts at I'dRatherBeWriting.com. Just click the podcast button, and you can download over 100 different podcasts on various topics. Thanks for listening. Michael, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, what industry are you in? Kind of what's your role and, and a little bit about where you're located? Yes, I'd, I'd be glad to. I have 20 years as technical as a technical writer in the industry working for different sizes of companies, small startups, larger companies, uh, Novell, Symantec. I've also worked for Alteris before it was bought by Symantec. I've worked for... Uh, Randy Fields for a couple of years, um, uh, Mr. Fields and Mrs. Fields. And then I've, I've started some, um, I've worked for some startups and I'm now starting my own company and working with, uh, Jeff Hansen, uh, jeffhansen.com, uh, who's just written a book on mashups. And so we're kind of mashing up here together with my expertise of knowledge management and his expertise of uh, development and working into cloud computing and um, um, mashup semantic web and linked data. So we're just we're just kind of uh, getting into that emerging field right now and looking at all the possibilities. Yeah, I saw I saw that your blog title or subtitle uh, on mashstream.com, which is your blog URL. Say so that you cover mashups, cloud computing, live streaming, real-time web, Ajax, and semantic web. So these, these are kind of pretty hot topics, right? And so you're actually involved in a company that that is specializing in those kinds of uh, things. Yes, uh, we see a lot of applications for that, and a lot of it is still in the cloud, if you will, and trying to uh, adapt it to the changing world that we're seeing here is really our our goal. We, as, as I said, Jeff handles, uh, he's written a book on mashups for the enterprise, and he handles a lot of the technical acumen here, and, and I do a lot of the writing and work with the uh, knowledge end of things and the, uh, the integration, the aggregation, the mashup, uh, personalization of information from my expertise, from my angle, 
and Jeff comes in from the little, from the deep water there. One of the things that caught my attention uh, is your recent post on the myth of single sourcing. And I assume that your current role working with mashups has caused you to see some some shortfalls in in single sourcing. But you wrote that uh, it, that it lacks purpose in today's world of information, and especially given the nature, the dynamic nature of Web 2.0 moving to 3.0 landscapes, uh, it's kind of a dead thing. Can you explain why, or expand on why you think single sourcing is no longer really a, a viable option to pursue? Well, and I think I need to define that a little bit as far as I see single sourcing and a few caveats here, too. It's a bold statement, and I've spent my time in single sourcing with larger companies, with SGML at Novell, and and with uh, larger companies using single sourcing as they are now. So my experience has shown me that um, there's there's some real problems here from single sourcing. I've worked with all of the, uh, not all of them, but some of the leading edge tools here with Vassant, with XMetal, as it moves into uh, machine translation. My point here is that I've had a lot of experience in single source authoring, not just uh, recently, uh, but uh, 15 years ago. And it seems that we haven't overcome the, the problems that we have always faced in the last 20 years around the promise of single-source authoring. Now, uh, as I was explaining, I don't want to completely throw out the baby with the bathwater here. I don't see, I see a way for single-sourcing to work, as I've said in my article, between for one person, for the individual, and maybe for a group of people, two or three at most, that can work as a single entity and can work and understand how to reuse content, how to write content for reuse, but they really have to be working hand in glove here. And I haven't seen that happen in my experience. Um, So I I think the problem I'm having with single-source authoring is uh, the same problem that um, the, that the programmers are running into, to the developers are going to run into here, and part of it also, and that that problem is that they're seeing the um, uh, a change with cloud computing, with um, open source. Uh, I see the same thing happening for writers, for you know, moving away from proprietary platforms and moving into the cloud for reuse of content and functionality. Um, for the information developer, I, I'm seeing uh, what I see is a, a lack of um, good information out in, uh, in the uh, marketplace. I see uh, within a corporation uh, attempting to use single sourcing, but it never moves beyond the documentation team. I don't see training, reusing it, the reuse of content. I, I never see marketing with the reuse of content. And even within a information development team, I rarely, if ever, beyond just basic glossary reusage, do I see a writer reusing uh, conceptual or procedural topics uh, with, even within a team when they're sitting right next to each other in, in cubes. So I guess, so, yeah, so I guess the, uh, my point is, is that 
um, with my experience, uh, and I've had quite a bit of it, I, I haven't seen it work. So you're not necessarily dismissing all single sourcing. You're just dismissing enterprise-wide single sourcing from marketing to training to other groups outside of documentation, right? I do. I see that uh, outside of documentation, the reuse across the corporation, uh, I've never seen that work, never even get close to working at that level. Uh, A lot of that has to do with the siloed up um, departments that we see in corporations um, and the inability to work together. But I also uh, have my doubts about the um, ability, even within a writing team, to reuse content. As I've said, there's a very fine line between reuse and redundancy. So, in my experience, the in-house writer has a very difficult time uh, trusting his neighbor or even spending the time to go look for content and reuse that and fitting it into his content or her content in a... um, in a meaningful way. So even within the team, I don't see it happening. I did receive you know a... That, yeah, go ahead, I, I've Tom. Always, I've always kind of been in situations where even if we have eight or ten writers, we're not all documenting the same product. We're usually... We usually have individual products that we're documenting, so the content isn't reused from one writer to the other simply because we're on different projects. But, but definitely within one project uh there there's a need sometimes for reusing things like if um people want a printout they want a, a a manual in addition to an online help or if they have different roles uh or if they have different versions of something do you do you, do you uh still think single sourcing works in that scenario i i think it can work in i think it can work depending and all of this also depends on the the type of documentation and information you're you're trying to impart here as well, if you can reuse. Is it pure reference information? Um, You know, as I've said, I can see where it can work in, you know, traditional cookbooks where you're using a lot, reusing content. I can see it working um, in some cases where you are maybe reusing content uh, at different levels as well for deep, maybe SDK writing where you want to reuse a topic, a conceptual topic, and then go to a different developer audience than you would an admin audience than you would a implementer audience. And sometimes you can reuse that content across. I guess anecdotally, I've never seen that work though, even though a lot of time and money's been put into it. And my question, even at that level, is, is it really worth the cost of what we're doing here? Well, where I've particularly seen single sourcing break down is when there's a lot of authors involved. And, for example, I'm on a project right now that has a lot of subject matter experts who are going to be contributing. Well, unless I want to get them up to speed on the specific help authoring tool I'm using and try to somehow get all their content and try to push it into this format, um, this whole little single sourcing model within a a specific tool uh, seems to break down because the whole world is not using that tool. Um, So now I'm really interested in your your approach to 
trying to integrate all these different sources. So how do you how do you think the best way is to go about integrating information from a dozen different subject matter experts into one source? Uh, I, and I think that's a good, uh, that is the question, the crux of, of the biscuit here, as Frank Zappa would say. Um, what I'm seeing here is that single sourcing, I believe, can work if you go to the cloud. If you're able to go out and pull in high-value content and then pull it, mold it together, provide context, provide real knowledge rather than haphazard data that you've, you're throwing at the, the customer, the reader, the user, and start pulling that together from the cloud and, and forming some sort of uh, real-world information that can be uh, utilized um, in day-to-day life by, by the user. Um, part of the problem, uh, so, so I, I believe that writing on a proprietary platform, whether you're on Vasant or whether you're on, um, you know, FrameMaker using a Dita DTD or Reuse, whatever the tools that you're using, it's a proprietary platform. And like developers, I think uh, proprietary platforms are going away. And I think that what our platform is is going to be open source, which is uh, XML, which is HTTP, as you use with linked data, and uh, the semantic web, where the markup is going to be uh, based on uh, context from the web and pulling that in. That's some years off until we can make it practical here. But instead of trying to single source before we publish, I think it's going to make more sense to single source after we publish or after content is published and then pulling that together. So, so I'm a little fuzzy on how exactly that would work. You, you mentioned that we're a little ways off and that it relies on the semantic web. But, but let's take a, a scenario where we have subject matter experts writing in Word documents, on a forum, on a wiki. Uh, maybe there is an online help. Maybe there's Twitter. And they're all, they seem like they're all different formats. And, and they're not all like tagged semantically or, or structured in XML in a way that you could pull it in. So how do you... How do you uh, grab all that data and, and, and manipulate it and, and integrate it? Well, I think there has to be, first of all, the semantic web and you know markup of the semantic web, and it's realizing it is an ontologies that allow you to do this is some years off. I see it happening more in scientific studies, and there's a lot of uh, knowledge bases and repositories out there like uh, Wikipedia and DBpedia. Uh, moving that over into semantics so you can reuse that content just pulling in an article even though it changes on Wikipedia uh, DBpedia will come and pull in that full article the latest stuff and you can use it as for example glossary entries web 2.0 so there there's a little bit of that you're seeing out there and there's there's a bunch of you know linking link data that's available right now if you can pull that in in a very structured way but for a while here, I think we're going to be relying on, um, you know, uh, what's a good word? I, I think we're going to have to be relying on pulling in content in a more mechanical fashion and not so much of an automated fashion as the uh, promise of semantic web 
is is as it stands now, and it's not much more than a promise right now. Linked data, of course, is going to be uh, is much simpler using uh, URIs, URLs to uh, identify raw data and pulling that in for scientific uh, research and uh, getting everybody on the same page before formal infor- uh, information um, is and data is um, is. Uh, posted out there and formally put out on a website you see that um i've seen that uh with a um uh, a company that contacted me working on um um nanotechnology and they were they wanted a technical writer so they wanted me to support 25 separate writers uh, I'm sorry, scientists here, and uh, I could see that was just going to be a nightmare. I was there. The subject matter experts were all going to write their own blogs, their own posts, everything that, uh, w- whether it's on a wiki, it's going to be just a lot of data thrown out there. So, how do you pull all that together? And first of all, get it in front of people before it's formally posted is one question. And I think to get to your question again is then how do you pull all this information in, whether it's video, whether it's a Word document, whether it's XML out there, or, you know, is, is it structured? Uh, writing that's been put out there from the information developer. So a good example is uh, what I see out there is uh, IT systems management. A company, and I've um, called this in a a posting of mine, Shotgun Communication, where uh, a new product or services comes out, so every department now starts throwing content out as quickly as they can on their own websites in their own knowledge bases um, to, to a bunch of different audiences. So you've got maybe um, in this IT systems management product that would be coming out, you would be having the marketing team give high level. You'd be having the development team updating a, a wiki. You would be seeing training do some videos and some CBTs and then their pay for um, training, and then you would have documentation providing a smattering of information along with the uh, support specialists. So you've got this whole smorgasbord of content out there, and the customer cannot find that content. So I guess f- to begin with, the simple linking and of that content and providing context around that and reuse at that level, even though they're not all of the same um, uh, type, the same markup, they still can be brought together in some form and provided for the user. Does that... Yeah, and yeah, and I, actually I'm really interested in this point because you work a lot with mashups and I think mashups are all about this approach to integrating information that may not be in the right format that may not be all compatible. I saw something that kind of looks maybe a little similar to what you're talking about in Adobe's search. Um, in Adobe, at least their creative suite, if I search for an article, I get not just what's in the online help, but I get blog posts, I get uh, other stuff. And it kind of, I don't know how they do it if they have like a list of sources that they also include in the directory search. 
where where it pulls it in. But for example, in InDesign, if you search for something, you also get uh, content from InDesignSecrets.com, which is not an Adobe party, but a very uh, helpful and informational source. Is that is that is that what you mean by linked data? I'm not really sure what linked data is. Well, linked data is just on the forefront and trying to realize its own place in the market here. But it's new. It's the Tim Berners Lee um, movement right now that he's he's heading up. And and linked data is really just going to the web and have some sort of semantic ontology. But it just does a simple. Uh, It sees everything on the web as a distinct object, and then it pulls it in based on semantic, uh, whatever the semantic uh, tagging is on that. So if you were a scientist uh, working on nanotechnology, uh, you would, in the U.S., you have someone, a counterpart in Germany, a counterpart in, in South Korea, who's working on the same things. You can all sync that up and pull that data in, and you can get some real-time feeds on that just by creating this uh, ontology, this hierarchy of information that you capture and you pull in and it streams in automatically. So that's kind of what the the basis, linked data is the first step of the semantic web uh, where it sees everything as a specific object. Uh, So it's kind of, and as Tim Berners-Lee started the chant and his TED um, presentation if you go out and see that it's uh, more raw data he just wants raw data he doesn't want to wait for a website to be posted by someone he wants to see the information as it makes sense so it's kind of the underpinnings of what I see as this uh, more of an online publishing ability and so if you go back to what we have right now you can put up a web page I could put a w- up a web page and I've seen this on training for uh, Windows 7 and all the new features on that. So you could put up a web page. The writer could give it some context, give it a little um, uh, pre-information that sets the stage and then starts to pull in from the best sources of video and uh, articles, whether it's tech support at, at Microsoft, whether it's their training at Microsoft, and as you brought up, if it's third-party people that you can go out there and use their content or at least point to their content so you get content so you get out of the Microsoft branding and positioning and you can get some information that's less uh, hinged on what the company has to say and more uh, honest evaluation from some third party uh, writers and subject matter experts. Well, one of the people who left a comment on either your post or my post mentioned that tool vendors are often not uh, open to embrace solutions like this that aren't going to kind of sell their product. That they that they're almost an obstacle in this forward progression towards um, more uh, open source mashup solutions that are going to integrate from different sources that may not involve their particular help authoring tool. Do you think, do you have any opinion on, on the vendor side? Are they helping, hurting? I think that, um, I think that what, and I'm writing a blog about this right now and really the evolving nature of the technical writer and how that's going to be different in, in the future here. 
Um, I do agree with the posting out there, the comment that uh, you see too much in the last 20 years of uh, information development is that it's being driven by the the vendors. And they are, I think, focused on the tools. And my position is, is that, as it is in development, is that the tools aren't going to matter as much. The platform isn't going to matter as much uh, in, in the future. Whether you're on Windows or you're on Mac or you're on Linux, you're all going to you're going to be writing and you're going to be developing in the cloud, and it's going to be on open source standards. And so. So the tool vendors here, I believe, have a market, and they've had a market in the past, but I also believe uh, in the evolution paradigm that we're going through a destruction of that market, and we're going to see a recreation of a new market out there. So I think the tool vendors are going to want to hold on to the past, but I think the future holds that you're not going to have uh, as many people replicating content across the company and you, companies aren't going to be able to pay for, uh, you know, a sales engineer doing a video along with training doing a video as well as documentation doing a video and engineering doing a vid- video. You're going to have an information manager who's going to coordinate all of those different levels of input and provide some sort of content that is going to make sense to different types of audience. So there will be a lot of different information coming in. It needs to be given context, and then it will be going out to different types of user whether and customers, whether it's the emerging customer, the most valuable customer, the prospective customer, or if it's going to be an upsell customer out there, or if you're going to be supporting a user base out there from uh, and reused by a uh, technical support team, they're all going to have to have their different needs. And I cannot see how companies are going to be able to keep the business model where they have all the redundant information development going on. That's one point of mine. And and this information manager role, I believe, is also often termed a content strategist, right? Yes, I I, I read that on a comment, and I think that's a better term, a content strategist. I like it. Now, I I'm a little familiar with the field of content strategy, and my issue with it is that I've never seen a job posting for a content strategist. So it must be an internal role that a tech writer morphs to or transforms him or herself to begin fulfilling uh, maybe it's just inherent in the tech writer's responsibility that the person would manage the information rather than just be creating it but but most of the jobs i see from companies are pretty narrow-minded or very myopic they they want somebody to create manuals and help materials and they don't see this role of content strategy do you, how i mean is this is this role ever going to emerge if there aren't any kind of job openings for this role is, is that's like, that's a very very good question i uh, and what i believe if i could give a little anecdote here about uh, in the early 90s i was finishing up my degree and i had a um summer class where i was um where it was on uh english literature for the young adult and uh, there were the 
there were a bunch of teachers in there as well, and um, the professor was over the teaching department, the secondary education department. I gave a, I hauled in my Mac SE30 in there and gave a, with HyperCard, and gave a little demo on what I thought the changing role of education was going to be, and that is teaching poetry and other things online and not moving away from the sage on the stage and moving to the guide by the side type of, uh, which people have been promising for many years. Well, walking down the stairs, the professor is helping me with my monitor and my, well, my SE30 and all my, you know, 50 pounds of computer. And um, he says, you know, this will never change until the teachers change, until we get a new generation of teachers. My observations since that time, and it's going on to almost 20 years here, is that education and teaching haven't changed. My son still sets in a high school class where they do not allow a laptop or any sort of electronic device. Um, none of this stuff has changed, and we haven't been able to use the web, and we're afraid of the web, to use in education. So at the time, I remember thinking, no, it's not going to change when the teachers decide this. It's going to change when the students decide this when the parents of the students decide that they're not keeping up with other cultures in education and we have to put pressure on the um, school system to change the way they've done things. I see that happening now, and I think it'll happen more in the future as we cost for education get more, our uh, outcomes uh, are, become less and uh, it's not going to happen until there's a dramatic change, and that's going to have to be brought on not by the providers but by the users. So that's a really so. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, and so I, I'm really also here uh, attacking the in-house writer. I think that all of this is going. The only way this is going to change is with some sort of predatory um, information development. And what that's going to be is, for example, this same IT management, system management company that's going to be coming out and they're going to be throwing all this information at the user who can't find the type of information they want because it's scattered everywhere. If someone's out there and comes to a website providing honest, real-time personalized information, then they're going to be able to take control of the information aspect of that product. They're going to be competing directly with the in-house riders, um, and I see real possibilities around that. Matter of fact, I'm going to be doing a, a project around that to uh, proof of concept this as well. So, yeah, so I, I guess... Uh, I guess my point here is that there, it, it's not going to change unless, you know, someone goes out into the open market and, and changes this. And that would be us, the information providers. As, as companies start to outsource more, as companies start to uh, not see the value of information providers, and, you know, being a technical writer, we're always uh, seen as a fourth tier developer and not a first tier information developer, um, layoffs come around and the writer goes. 
um, outsourcing to junior riders um, is commonplace, and you see that happening everywhere. So they've opened this big hole where quality is not number one, but how little can we get away with as far as providing content for the user and and at the same time, these companies are trying to move into social networks where they are moving into the cloud, but they still want to control the messaging. Well, you can't have both. You can't move into the cloud to get free authoring. And as one manager told me, let's just let the customers, the users, provide their own documentation out there in forums and blogs, and then they can go out in the cloud and everybody can find it and we can get rid of writers altogether. Well, you know, I, I like the direction that this conversation is going. I mean, I, I like that I think it is like the only feasible solution in the future, These, this idea of the whole mashups. And it's cool to know that you're in this field, that you're involved in a company that uh, is doing mashups. So, And you, your blog is mashstream.com. How long have you had that blog? Uh, not long. Um, I've put it up uh, somewhere in the summer here, and um, so we've um, had it up for uh, what a c- couple months, two three months now. Um, a lot of these ideas we've been banding about for quite a while now, and we're just starting to um, to see the fruits of our labor here and um and and a lot of this is just emerging stuff i've it's been surprising to me about how many people are thinking about this as as well out there in in some fashion i i know if i've got the idea i'm not the first one to have it so i i do see it happening sorry go ahead i do see it moving forward here. Just one quick little uh, anecdote, and this is what got me thinking about it and really going after it. And uh, like I say, I'm going to be doing a proof of concept here on my site and uh, uh, sharing all of my uh, travails and and successes as well. What got me thinking about this is I was contacted by a company who wanted me to write an ebook about IT systems management for their it was a small, medium business. Um, what they wanted from me is to, um, <clears throat> they wanted to write, me to write an ebook with my name on it, but they didn't want to have their customer set know that it wasn't an independent book. So they wanted an independent ebook, but they were going to pay me to write exactly what they wanted. The, they were, t- they were going to tell me what to say. So it was a bit of a fraud going on here. And then I realized the position that companies are in here is that the most valuable information is out on a posting where people are really talking honestly, and that's what they wanted, but they didn't want it to be honest talk out there. They wanted to control the messaging, and it, it was a real difficult project here between my name's going to stay on this, so I have to show honesty to my audience, at the same time you're telling me what to write. Of course, they were paying me not very much to do this, but I could see the problem out there is that as companies go out into the cloud, out into social networking, they're going to lose control of their messaging, and maybe that's the right way to go. They, they do need to lose control of their messaging because the customers are going to be 
um, the primary source, and they will find their own information. And those writers who can provide that information are going to be on the leading edge of, I think, uh, what we're seeing in the future. Well, you've got a lot of cool ideas, and I, I'm looking forward to, to reading more about your blog. I just discovered it from uh, a link I saw somewhere, so I'm, I'm happy to find it, and I'll definitely be following it. I, I This is such a, I mean, it's the beginnings of another field, right, and another kind of era of authoring. So, Michael, yeah, sorry, just quickly, as my developer friend says, he's, he keeps telling me, he says, you know, it used to be the developer, he was king of the jungle, and he says, that's all changing. Tools are out there, infrastructures are out there, um, that, to do quick development, all this mashup is done with JavaScript, and someone, some young kid with JavaScript is what always scares him, could put all of this stuff together that has been heretofore done on proprietary Java or... Um, dot net uh, platforms and he's saying you know he's pointing to me and saying you know the information developer is the um, will be the king of the jungle very soon and so I, I think that just gives hope to all of us who have been held in low esteem we're now evolving to a position I think where we've got 900 channels for our cable TV but we continue to watch Gilligan's Island you know <laughs> so content is king. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I mean, we have an explosion of information from thirty different sources, and the person who can wrangle that in a way that makes sense and organize and provide the information to people searching—that's a huge uh, asset. Well, Mike, Michael, thanks for talking with me today. Uh, we've we've chatted for about a half hour and and given people a glimpse into this world and uh, if they want to find out more about you they can go to mashstream.com and there's a contact form is there any other thing you want me to add there about about your site or or how to contact you nope i'm likewise looking at your blog and many others and what i'm really asking people to do is to push back and say no this won't work what i've heard so far is either silence or you know that I'm um, uh, preaching to the choir in many cases here. So well, I, appreci yeah. I appreciate what you're doing. This is unique and and very very cool what you're doing. I've listened to some of your other blogs and I find them to be very edifying here. Well, good, I appreciate it. All right, Michael, thanks again for coming on to the show, and uh, look forward to hearing from you in the future. All right, thanks, Tom.